So, really happy to see everybody here tonight. I just want to quickly introduce our speaker, Putty Putman. Putty has directed and created the School of Kingdom Ministry, which is going on right now here at Vineyard Northwest. Putty's an awesome teacher, becoming a friend of mine, and he actually brought a team with him too, so we're just excited to see what they have for us this weekend. Putty, come on up. There we go. Hey, everybody. Now, if I teach here, can you see me? Can everybody see me like all the way to the back? Okay. I move too much for a box that small. So uh, I'm just going to try that. Is there anything on here? Can I bring it down? Okay. Oh, sweet. I have a timer. So you guys all want me to have that. Trust me. Um, Okay. Give me 10 seconds. I know I look really professional right now. What am I doing? What's going on? Well, what? What? Just look at the clock. What time is it supposed to be done? It says 844. It's not 844. Okay. I'm just going to preach until they tell me to stop. So welcome everyone. Um, my, my name is Putty, as, as Wilson said. Yes, you heard that right. Putty, like silly putty, P-U-T-T-Y. Um, it's a long God story and I won't go into it. Um, other than to say that apparently God thinks that I'm like putty in his hands. And so that's what he calls me and that's what I go by. And so I just, I just asked you to call me that too. Um, so excited to be here with you guys tonight and, and this weekend. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, one of the things that's just really neat and really special to me is um, as I do this thing called School Kingdom Ministry, I, I just kind of get to know different church families. And to me, that's just really neat and really special. Um, we had uh, Wilson come down to Urbana for uh, a week over the summer, and it was just really fun to get to know him and connect with him. And so that's been really neat. And um, I don't know if you guys actually know the history, but a long, long time ago, ago, uh, Van was actually on staff at the church that I, I am at now. He was a small groups pastor. And I, I don't know, Lori, did you guys have another stop between there and here? Did you come straight here after that? You came here to start another church and there's been a journey, but you pastored in another church and then you planted here or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you guys, like, I think of you guys as you're like my cousins, you know? So like, um, you know, we're not exactly in the same family, but we're certainly related. You know, we probably have some of the same quirks, um, hopefully some of the same positive things. And, um, I'm just so excited to be here. Thank, thank you guys. Um, no, Lori and Van, I assume you're in here somewhere. Thank you, Van, wherever you are. Um, yes, back there. Thank you, um, for having us this weekend. It's, it's going to be really fun. Um, now, I wish I had time to really share with you guys a whole lot about my story, um, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you the condensed version um, because I, I've got some stuff that I'm really excited to be talking about tonight. A um, little bit about me, uh, just real quick. I grew up uh, in, the, in the church, um, not in the Vineyard Church. I grew up in a uh, Swedish Baptist um, type church, actually, and so... Um, my version of church didn't quite look like this. Um, it was it was a little more stiff. It was uh, a little less Holy Spirit, a whole lot less Holy Spirit actually. Um, and um, but what we did do is we loved the Bible, and so I learned a ton about the Bible, and I'm so grateful for that that upbringing in the faith. I did um, years and years and years of uh, what's called Awana. Did anybody ever do Awana in here? Okay, a couple of people. Okay, so if you've never heard of Awana, here's how it works. Okay, every Wednesday night, all the kids in the church 
church come and you bribe the kids to memorize Bible verses with candy. Okay. And then of course, after you've done that, you have to let them like run around the gym for an hour to get all the sugar out. And then you send them home. That was Awana. Right. And so it was like, it was like a, a, a dream come true. And I spent many, many, many hours in Awana. I got to be really good at crab walking, actually just a really random fact about me, but that was one of the games we'd do. It was actually relay crab walk racing. Isn't that weird? Relay crab walk racing. Anyway. So, um, grew up in the church. I went to uh, a small school up in the Twin Cities called Bethel College um, to study physics, actually, not to study anything having to do with, um, uh, you know, ministry or anything like that. Met my wife there. Um, after I graduated, I came down to University of Illinois, which is in Urbana-Champaign, for more physics, a graduate studies in physics. And um, wound up getting plugged in with this weird church called the Vineyard because some of my friends went there. And the way it worked was this. I would go to the church and um, we did it. We did church backwards like you guys do here. So the message was first and then worship and ministry. If you grew up in the church, you would know that's not totally usually the, the way that churches do it. So they did church backwards, but I was over. I didn't really care. Um, and, and this was on my honest impression of, of the service was that, you know, the preaching was like, okay, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I was used to. So I was kind of like, I'm not sure what I think about that. I really liked the worship. I liked singing and, 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 and there was really a spirit of worship. And then whatever they did at the end of the service was just whacked. I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. These people would come up and they would say God would do things. And I honestly sat probably about as far in the back as I could and just judged the whole thing. Because it wasn't what I was used to. It wasn't what I was, you know, I didn't grow up with it. And so, honestly, I looked at this and I'm like, well, you know, like, I, I think they mean well. I don't think they're, like, trying to deceive people or anything like that. But, like, seriously, okay, like, I've, I've been in Christianity for how long and I've never heard of this. So, you know, it can't be God. Um, honestly, that's, that's where I was. And God brought me through a long process and I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Um, but suffice it to say that, um, uh, I found myself about three years later, um, in China, actually on a short term missions trip, working with the underground church. And, uh, we were training the underground church in, in some things, um, about just how to, how to do church and stuff like this. And I find myself um, praying for this young woman um, because we were doing this training on healing, which I didn't really hardly believe in, but I wanted to go to the trip. And so I was there and um, we were doing this training for healing. And this lady had like an elbow thing and there was a word knowledge for an elbow thing. And so I put my hand on her, on her shoulder and I say, come Holy Spirit, because that's what I was supposed to do. And when that happened, the room exploded. Uh, no joke. Okay. So I, I'm sitting here and, um, I, I don't really know what's happening, but I just know that as I have my hand on this woman's shoulder, I, I physically feel something like fall on her, like boom, like it hits her. And when that happens, there are about a dozen house church leaders that were all kind of sitting around watching and they all respond almost simultaneously. All of them go, <gasps> and then three or four of them fall over. And then this one lady like grabs a trash can and starts like throwing up into the trash can. And the lady that had my hand on her shoulder drops to the ground and starts like contorting. Right? And I'm, I'm trying to talk, and all of this is happening in Chinese, right? So I'm trying to talk through the translator and I'm like, what is happening? All of the stuff. And the translator, you know, all this chaos and eventually is like, oh, it's a, it's a demon. It's a demon manifesting, right? And, and the whole room explodes. And you know who believes it the least? The guy who's praying, right? I'm like, I'm like, what on earth is just happening here? We went from classroom to war zone in about five seconds. And then I realized that I am praying for this person in front of the, this church that's watching and learning how to pray. And I never learned a thing about casting demons out. 
And so I'm like, oh, goodness, okay. And, and my Iwana days come back to me. And I go, okay, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Because that's the only thing I can think of. I have no other reference point. And I'm like, well, the only thing I think of is Jesus basically just told him to leave. He just told the demons to leave, and they left. And so I'm like, well, if that's the only thing I got, then, then, that's the, you know, it's easy when you have like one gun in your belt, you don't have to ask questions. You just go for the one thing, you know? And so I'm like, okay, demons get out, you know? And it was suffice it to say a long and very ugly deliverance. It was the longest, ugliest deliverance I've ever been a part of this day, but eventually she got free and everyone was blown away. Everyone's like picking himself up off the floor, like what's happening. And I, most of all was like, oh my goodness, what's happening. I need to rethink some things. And I came back to the U.S. and I, I, I had realized that I, I did not understand everything that I thought I understood about God. I did not understand everything that I thought I understood about the spiritual realm. And there was a whole lot more to this thing than I knew. And the one thing that I knew was whatever it took to get back to that place, to see that kind of thing again, I had to figure it out. I had to. Because I saw God radically transform someone's life in an hour. Like night to day, completely different person, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I'm not objecting to, to process, you know, and sometimes God takes us through process and that's great. I mean, however God's working with us is, is amazing. But in that moment, something in my heart was grabbed and I knew I have to have this thing. And so I began to just go after this thing and pursue it and, and, and go, went to every book I, or read every book I could find, went to every conference I could go to, took every class and every mentoring and everything, everything, everything for years and years and years and years. Well, not that many years, years and years. And, uh, eventually what happened was I, I had learned enough that I was like, I got to start giving this away. So I started one of these things that you guys called these house groups, right? Like seriously, I grabbed three of my friends and we met in a basement that didn't have lights like the lights literally didn't work. We had like one lamp in a room that was probably a quarter this size, right? So like we're talking dark, basement, cold. And when it rained, the water literally like seeped in and the floor got wet, right? So what happened was I started a small group in a cave, basically, okay? I started a small group in a cave. But what we were doing was we were pursuing God. We were like, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be two ways about this. You want to join the small group? I'm happy to have anybody come. But there's only two things we're ever going to talk about. We're going to talk about intimate relationship with God. And we're going to talk about ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're never going to change the channel. And so if you want to have something else, then that's great. Bless you. You know, there's plenty of other groups and go find that. But this is, this is what we're going to do. And um, we started with four guys in the basement, and it's a miracle that that thing ever actually grew. Um, it didn't grow because of me. I'm the worst inviter that's ever happened. Uh, I don't know how to grow a small group, and apparently I don't know how to run it in the first place, or I would have known better than four dudes in a basement, right? I mean, first of all, who's ever going to want to be the first girl that comes to that group, right? It's like <laughs> sketchy, weird, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't comfortable. Um, but what happened was God started coming to small group. Really? And when God starts coming to small group, you'd be surprised who will show up and how quickly they'll get there and the word will get out. And so it grew and it multiplied and it grew and it multiplied. And when I finished my graduate studies, um, they brought me on staff at the church to oversee healing and stuff. And then we decided to make a class out of all of that stuff I learned in that small group. And we were starting to make a class for our ministry team. And we called it School Kingdom Ministry because why not? I was not intending to do anything at other churches. I was not intending any of that stuff. Once again, God breathed on the thing and other churches started coming to me saying, Hey, can we run this program? Hey, we're hearing about this. Hey, this is really neat. And I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? And, um, you know, now we're, I don't know, four years in and there's, I don't know, 
800 some students around the country in 40 some odd locations. And, and I'm just trying to catch up with the thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. All I know is that God's caught my heart with something and I have to pursue it. I have to run after it. And, um, I'm so excited that you guys are part of this. Like, can, can I just see show of hands? Like some of the people that are in school chemistry, I don't know if, Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yes. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being on this journey with me and the rest of you guys, they're as crazy as I am. So now you're stuck with it. Ha. Lock the doors. Um, no, <laughs> let's take offering into no. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, so anyway, I, it's, I'm so excited to be here. This is, this is just fun. Um, this is going to be a great weekend. I've got some stuff that I want to talk to you guys just about, um, about Jesus and about, um, just what is like on my heart with that. But uh, let me just pray and, and then we'll just jump in. So Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for, um, just being in this place, God, I thank you that um, we can come, God, and not just like walk through a service, but we can come and encounter you, God. And that when, when you come, you said, man, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And so, Jesus, I thank you. You are in this place, God. And, Jesus, what we want is to encounter you. What we want is to meet you, God. And so, God, as I, as I share, I'm asking not just like my thoughts or my ideas or my insights, God. This is so not about me. Jesus, you're in me, and I'm asking the Jesus in me to speak tonight, God. I'm asking the Jesus in me to just shed like light abroad in people's hearts, God, that people would be gripped by how amazing you are all over again, God, and that we would be so motivated to just put everything in our lives aside and to pursue you and you only. Jesus, you're so good. Just come and be with us tonight. Amen. Amen. What I want to talk about um, tonight is, uh, you know, I, I'd like to call it my life message, but honestly, I'm like 31. So I think it's kind of presumptuous to think I know my life message at 31. You know, it's like anyone who's older than like 40 probably knows that you think you know everything at 20 and at 30, right? And then when you go to 40, you realize, oh, now I know everything. Those 30-year-olds don't know anything, right? And then and so forth and so on. And so it's, it's as much as I would call my life message right now. Um, and, and, and it's basically this, it's about the person of Jesus, right? It's, I mean, it, it, I think if we're, if we're honest, like Jesus is the only thing that we have is the church, right? Jesus is the only thing that we have. And I say that not to say like, oh, we're lacking anything, but it, Jesus has more than enough. But my concern, my concern with this whole thing, this whole journey called faith and Christianity is, is that we, we, we take Jesus and then we move on from Jesus instead of taking Jesus and moving deeper into Jesus. Does that make sense? You know, it's like the book of, I don't remember where Colossians, I think says in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus is everything that we would ever need to know. Is what that means. That's why Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, he says, Man, when I was with you guys, I was resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's what he said. And that's, that's an amazing thought if you think about it. I mean, historians basically agree that Paul was like pretty much on, on, on the top of like the most smart people ever in history list. Like they, they would say Paul and Plato are like the top two. Secular historians would, would agree with that. And so when Paul is sitting here saying, man, I know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's an amazing statement. Because we're talking about someone who has the capacity to know so much more than so many people. And he says, this is the one thing. I don't know anything else. And so what I want to talk about is, is what Jesus like really means to us, really. What, 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 the, what the, the essence of what Jesus shows us is. 
In, in John 14, 6, Jesus is hanging with his disciples. And it's right, right before, um, it's like kind of in that Last Supper thing. And it's right before he's going to go to the cross and be crucified. Um, all that stuff, right? And he's, he's kind of like sharing his last um, words of insight with the disciples and, and giving, them, giving them his heart and stuff. And, um, and, and he's saying like, hey guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go away, you know. I'm going to disappear for a little bit. But it's okay because you guys know what to do from now on. You know where I'm going, right? And Philip... He's like, he's one of the disciples who, who asked the question when he has the question. So he's like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, I, maybe you think I know where I'm going, but you know, Jesus, I don't think you really know what it's like to follow you. Like, we're just trying to keep up and you don't make any sense to us, right? You ever notice that? The disciples were just totally clueless, totally clueless. And that gives me hope, right? Because they got it in the end. So I think, I think maybe I can get it in the end too. And this is how Jesus replies. He says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's a whole lot in this verse, and we could just take this verse and pull out everything that it means that he says he's the way. It means that, that, that we don't follow an idea. We don't follow faith that's caught up in, in teaching. It's important that we get that. Faith is caught up in a person. You don't have faith in a system of salvation. You have faith in a person. His name is Jesus. He's what you follow. He's the way. On top of that, he's the truth. And I think that means that anything that's not in Jesus is probably a lie. Really. Anything that's not caught in the person of Jesus is a lie. And he's the life. When we follow him as the way, he guides us into himself as the truth and his life manifests in us. And all of that is wrapped up in this idea that no one comes to God except that Jesus puts that person in himself and Jesus comes before God. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we could preach that whole thing out. But what I want to do is I want to zoom in on one of those ideas and it is this. I am the truth, he says. See, it's really important that he says this because we know Jesus, he's the amazing God-man, right? I mean, it's what we celebrate this Christmas season about this incredible event, the incarnation, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took up residence in the human frame. And Jesus was amazing in that he wasn't like 50% man and 50% God, right? He was 100% man and 100% God. So it means the, the incarnation. So when Jesus says this, think about this. When he says, I am the truth, he's making that statement Fully as God and fully as man at the same time. He's 100% God and he says, I'm the truth. What does that mean? It means he's 100% of the truth about God. In other words, Jesus is everything that you need to know about God. That's important and we'll dive into that in a minute. But at the same time, he makes the statement as 100% man. And that means when he says, I am the truth, that he is also 100% of the truth that we need to understand about man, about humanity, about each other, and about ourselves. And that's an incredible idea as well. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the truth, and that means that he's 100% of the truth about God? Here's what it means. You see, I've, I've yet to meet a single person who, without Jesus, has an accurate picture of God. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, who in here 
has ever like tried to like engage an unbeliever in discussion about God and then be like, oh yeah, you know what, God, yeah, I believe that he's a, he's a, he's a loving father and that he, he forgives me and that he pays the price for my sin. I believe all that. None of, no one winds up there on their own. Have you ever noticed that unbelievers universally feel God is mad at them? You ever notice that? They universally feel that. Why do they feel that? Here's why they feel that. Every single unbeliever is born in the family line of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, every single human being is born in the family line of Adam and Eve. And what's the last interaction we see Adam and Eve have with God the Father? They blew it. They sinned. They ate the fruit. The the sin entered humanity. All of that thing. And what happens? God sends them away out of the garden. So Adam and Eve's collective consciousness is this. We blew it, we sinned, we failed, and God is sending us away. And that mindset from that moment on is the default setting for every single human being. Every person that you meet and every person that you talk to has that inclination programmed in them from birth. God is angry at me because I blew it and he sent me away. And without an understanding of what it means that Jesus reveals the nature of God, we have this temptation to do this, to take Jesus and add a little bit of something else. We do that. Here's what we do without, without even thinking about it, without even knowing that we're doing this. We, you know, if, if you're a believer and you've read this, this crazy book called the Bible, you've probably noticed that there's like two parts. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament, right? And what we do without thinking about it is we do this. We say, okay, well, the New Testament is all about Jesus. And so the New Testament tells me what Jesus is like. But then what's the Old Testament for? Because it's before Jesus shows up. But, and we see God in there a lot. So the Old Testament must be for God. And so we have this picture where Jesus is the son revealed in the New Testament and, and the Old Testament shows us the picture of the father of God. And because in the Old Testament, we see some scary things. We see people sinning and now all of a sudden it's like generational plague comes out or God is judging these people and killing these people. We have this picture where it's like, oh, Jesus is cool. He's kind. He's nice. He's, he's caring. He loves me. He's for me. But man, I got to hang out with Jesus and stay close to him because if he ever lives and I'm stuck with his dad and just his dad, that's going to be a scary deal. <laughs> really? We think that. And, and the sad thing is this, in that, what we, the conclusion we've come to, we would never say it in our mind, but emotionally what we believe is this, Jesus saves us from his father. That God is a bad guy and he's scary and I need someone to save me from him. Thank goodness for the good guy, Jesus, who's on my side. And we think that it's like this, man. Have you ever had, I think, as a parent... You'll probably understand this, or maybe if you've been on one side of this as a child, it's like, you know, when a parent has a kid and the kid has a best friend that the parent doesn't really like, you know what I'm talking about? You know? So it's like, if my son has, has a good friend and, and I don't really like him, but I kind of put up with him for the sake of my son, you know, it's like, so he comes over and I'm not really happy that my, but it's like, okay, you know, for, for you and my son, I'm going to respect that relationship, right? That's kind of what we feel like with, with God. We feel like Jesus is my buddy. And so we're good friends with him and God puts up with me for the sake of Jesus. We can think that. 
And when we do, whenever we think any of that stuff, we're revealing we do not understand what it means that Jesus is the truth about God. There is scripture after scripture after scripture. If I name them, can you guys put them up on the screen so I can read them faster? Can we do that? There's scripture after scripture that draws this out, okay? Um, uh, let's say John 14, 8. Bam! Look at this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough to us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What does that mean? That means Jesus is the picture of God. Jesus is the picture of God. Not the scary Old Testament. Jesus. Um, let's do John 1.18. No one, look at this, this is in the beginning in that John book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all this stuff, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's what it says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side. Who's that? That's Jesus, right? He has made him known. Look at this. The opening to one of the Gospels says this. No one has ever seen what God is really like. Jesus makes him known. John was a Hebrew. He knew the Old Testament better than any of us. He probably had a big portion of it memorized. He knew the picture of God that was in the Old Testament. And what does he say? He says, no one has ever seen God. Jesus made him known. 1 John 1 5. This is the message that we heard from him, heard from Jesus. Man, if you're going to pick one thing, Seriously, John was Jesus' beloved disciple, probably the closest man that Jesus was close to on earth. And in this, he sums up, he says, this is the message I heard from Jesus. This is the one thing that Jesus said to us. You and I would probably say, God forgave my sins. Or maybe the kingdom of God has come. We 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 would list that kind of stuff. You know, and Jesus did do that stuff. But the one thing John picks, he says, this is the message we heard from him and we proclaim to you. What God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is the good guy, not the bad guy. God's not secretly playing both sides. He's not for you, except a little bit against you. He doesn't play that way. What Jesus came to show us is this. God has one side. The good side. That's the only side that he's on. And in him is no darkness at all. That's what Jesus came to show. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of what God is like. Long ago, God spoke by the prophets. Absolutely, he did. We're not saying throw out the Old Testament. We're not saying there's no reason it's in there. We're not saying that you can't benefit from it. But your starting point is this. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so I think all of that adding together means this. Whatever we think about God that doesn't fit in the person of Jesus is something we need to re-examine. 
Whatever, whatever we say, well, God is like Jesus plus this. We probably need to re-examine that. If we think that he's Jesus plus a little bit of, of, of frustration with us, plus a little bit of judgment against us, plus a little bit of anger or disappointment or whatever it is, that's probably something that's not God. See, in the beginning, right, God makes all of this stuff. And he pauses before he makes humanity and he says something really interesting. He says he's going to make them in his image and with his likeness. So check this. Humanity was the only thing created in the image of God. Right? Is that true? So what that means is that humanity is the only thing that has the capacity to fully reveal the person of God. And what we do, we don't realize this, but what we do is we take the events of a nation state called Israel and we make those events the image of the Father. We make history the image of God as opposed to the person of Jesus. See, before Jesus came, it couldn't be possible to really show what God was really like. There was no way. There was nothing that had the possibility to manifest his image. So is God in the Old Testament? Absolutely. But he's blurry and out of focus. It's like you see him kind of in the background or the picture, but you can't really get a sense of the detail because, because the subject of the Old Testament is not actually the character of God. The subject of the Old Testament is the failure of the Israelites and the coming promise of the Messiah. You see, the point of the Old Testament was to point to Jesus. And when we read the Old Testament to point to Jesus and we leave Jesus to point to the Father, we'll be okay. But if we take the Old Testament and we bypass Jesus and we go straight to the Father, we're going to wind up being awful confused. You see, there's a reason all that stuff is in the Old Testament. I'll give you an example. A lot of people get nervous and uncomfortable about the fact that we see God doing like these crazy judgmental things in the Old Testament. Right? It's like one person sins and thousands of people die. Now, fortunately, we know that's not like every day. Right? But if you're honest, you read that part, it's a little unnerving. Right? And I go, okay, well, if God's that upset about sin, what's he do when I blow it? Really, I mean, he must have at least a little bit of that frustration. He must be at least a little bit disappointed. He must be a little bit like, I can't believe this guy. He can't get his act together, right? And so we do that. We take that and we add that to our person of Jesus. And we say, that's what God is like. He loves me, but he's a little disappointed when I blow it. When in fact, if we say, wait a minute, hang on. No, Jesus is the picture of God. And so where in, in the person of Jesus do we see judgment? There is judgment. Where does it happen? Happens at this amazing event called the cross, right? That's where judgment happens. It's where Jesus takes sin onto himself and dies as the sin bearer of humanity. So what the whole point of all the judgment in the Old Testament is, is to show this. This is how much God deals with sin when there's sin. So if you understand that and you look at the father through the person of Jesus, you say, oh my gosh, that's how much Jesus took out my sin on the person of Jesus. So you say, man, it's, it, he's that passionate. 
passionate about judging sin. So if the son was judged for my sin, that's how much it's dealt with. That's how much it's taken care of. That's how much I can move past it. So when I blow it, I don't go, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of God now. Oh my gosh, this is not good. I'm scared. This is, you know, hide and go and pray and feel really bad for three or four days. And then I can move past it. Which if we're honest, is a lot of how we do that. And what we're doing when we do that, if we're honest, is we're paying emotional penance for our sin. Your feeling bad doesn't forgive you. Jesus does. Jesus forgives you. So I don't have to turn and hide from God. I can say, God, thank you that you are so against sin that you so took all of my sin onto the person of Jesus and you so judged all of it against him that you judged the sin right out of me. Thank you that you are so complete in how you deal with sin that I don't have to take that back on as an identity, but I can believe that you so dealt with it on the cross that it's out of my life now. And I can move forward focusing on Jesus and the Father, not on a past and a history that you buried in the tomb. If we see, but that is viewing judgment through the person of Jesus. It's not, it's not a situation that we have to fear. It's something that should give us hope. But if we don't understand that Jesus is what God is really, really like, then we'll tiptoe around God. And we'll never feel safe with him. Because we won't understand what his heart is really, really like. Jesus came to bring the person of God into crystal clarity. And when that happens, don't go back. Stick with the picture that Jesus reveals. And if you don't understand something back here, Look at it through Jesus, not apart from him. In the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, this is something really interesting, guys. It's, it's a big deal to God that we get this. God, God is very passionate about the idea that his son is meant to be the picture for us. 15 more minutes? Oh, mercy. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Come Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Jesus takes the disciples up onto the mountain, right? And if you know the story, he, he gets what's called transfigured. He starts glowing. And it even says that actually his clothes, his clothes were like lightning bolts flowing through them, actually. is like what kind of the original language like kind of hints at. So this is a crazy event, right? And Peter and James and John, his three disciples up there, have got to be freaking out. And then something even crazier happens, right? Moses and Elijah pop up, right? And, and think about this. Think about, what, think about what Peter is thinking at this moment. He's like, I was in like Hebrew Awana when I was growing up. I know who those guys are. Moses is like the law. And, and, and Elijah's like the prophets, man. He's like, we're in like Bible stuff. This is crazy. That's what Peter's thinking. So he says, hey, hey, okay, Jesus, what, what, if, what if I did this? What if I build a couple of tents? What if we hang out up here and we just kind of like celebrate the idea that we've hit the level of the Bible? This is amazing. And when that happens, something really interesting happens. Look at this. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased Jesus heard that before at the baptism, right? But then he adds something. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Look at this. Peter himself hanging out right next to Jesus is coming to the same conclusion. Oh my gosh, we're in Bible times. Like Jesus is showing us what God's like. He's like, he's like the third person here. We have Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And the father himself comes and says, no, 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 don't be confused. Moses, Elijah, this one is my son. Listen to him. Don't listen to them anymore. Listen to him. And when this happens, they fall face down. Why? Because seeing, seeing God in the Moses, Elijah days is a bad deal. You're going to die. <laughs> oh, I'm losing my thing, Right? I mean, right? That's what happens. So they panic. Boom, they hit the floor. And Jesus, who's the picture of God, comes in and says, hey, get up. Now there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. It's a new time. You're no longer in the time where you have to be afraid of God. And they come up. And what do they see? Jesus only. Jesus is the picture of God now. But here's the amazing thing, right? Not only... Is Jesus 100% of the truth that we need to know about God? He's everything we need to know. Even beyond that, that would be plenty good enough for me to come here, we can get excited and share a sermon, and for us to spend the rest of our lives digging into that. But it gets even better because he's 100% of the truth we need to know about ourselves as well. Look at this. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this. For in him, in Jesus, look at this. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells body. What does that mean? It means this. There is no part of God that didn't fit in the person of Jesus. Think about that. There is no part of God that didn't fit in the person of Jesus. We're talking about the God that doesn't fit in the universe. And he fit in Jesus. See, I'm pretty sure... That that should be a mind-blowing statement to all of us. And what that means is something profound about humanity. I mean, picture this. Weird example, the best one I can come up with, but a parallel example. Let's suppose that you had a dog, that you loved this dog. And so you're like, I want to become a dog so I can be best dog friends with my dog. Right? So you decide that you're going to become a dog. Now, question, does the whole fullness of you fit in a dog? Absolutely not. I mean, you have, you have mental capacities a dog can't have. You can plan for the future. You can anticipate, you know, things that are happening. You have an existential need for meaning, right? You can contemplate life after death. You have a conscience. None of those things fit in a dog. So if you want to become a dog, you have to leave the fullness of you behind to do that. And yet, in the person of Jesus, we see God doesn't have to do that in humanity. That is an amazing thought. And I think that means that, that humanity is like a glove that's made in the shape of God for God to fill. I think that means that every part of our being, every part of our capacity is actually more to do with God than it has to do with us. You know why you have thoughts? Because God thinks. You know why you feel? Because God feels. You know why you have relationships? Triune God. Three in one. 
You know why you have finances? You know why you have things that you steward? Because God does. You know why you have dreams in your heart? Because God does. All of those things are are the parts of us that God fills. And when Jesus comes and what Jesus does is so amazing and so incredible that what he does is he actually like draws us into himself. And when that happens, everything that's in God actually fills everything that's in us. We see this in, say, like Romans, where Paul is talking about what happens when Jesus comes. Look at this. This is uh, Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. For, for if you have become so one with Jesus, then when Jesus hangs on the cross, you die with him. That's what he's saying. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When he comes out of the tomb, you come out as a new creation too. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. Guys, it's fair for you to think of yourself as messed up. It was fair. But the truth is this. Jesus made you so one with him that when he died on the cross, the you that was messed up died. He made you so one with him that when he was buried in that tomb, the old, broken, messed up you was buried in that tomb. And when he resurrected to life, three days later, there was a new you that was born. And that new you looks an awful lot like Jesus. That new you fits in the family of God. That's why it says he's the firstborn of many brothers. That's why it says, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And John adds, born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, Jesus, man, I'm not doing well with this thing. Apologies, sound people. Jesus, Jesus, hang on, look at this. Jesus is the picture of what we're really like. See, so many of us, we do this. We think Jesus is way up here. And we put ourselves down to try and make Jesus look better. I'm not convinced that's the way to go. I mean, think about it. If she's an artist and she spends her life making a masterful painting. And I come by and I say, well, that's a stupid painting. That's nowhere near as good as you are. Does that lift her up? No. Because as an artist, she's put herself in the painting. And the way that I praise her is I say... Your work is amazing. It brings you out. What if, what if it, that's what it means when it says that we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus? 
What if that's what it means that he died for us and put himself in us and resurrected in us so that we could be his body, the body of Christ. We've turned that into a metaphor. It's not meant to be one. He says in John 20, 21, he says this, as the father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed on his disciples. What was that? That, that was this happening. Jesus came to be the picture of the father. We saw that in the first 20 minutes. He revealed what God was really like. And then he says, hey guys, I died. I dealt with that sin thing. I've resurrected. Now you get to go and you get to do the same thing I did. I'm sending you the same way that God sent me. So what does that mean? You're the picture of Jesus now. That means you ought to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Lord. And he says, oh wait, but hang on. I came as God living in a mortal frame. I came as God in a body. So guess what? You're the body. Here comes the God. And he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Jesus is everything you need to know about yourself. And that means when you look in the mirror, you shouldn't be disappointed by what you see. Because what you comment about yourself when you look in the mirror, you make part true of Jesus as well. Man, if he's in you, you can't say I'm a loser and not say Jesus is a loser. If he's in you, you can't say I'm such a disappointment. I don't matter. I don't make a difference. I don't have significance. The enemy will come against us and sow those thoughts in our head over and over and over and over and over again. And if we don't understand, no, wait, hang on. I didn't make myself amazing, but to not say I'm amazing is to disagree with God. It's not about you did it yourself, but do you really think you know better than God does on that? Do you really think that God's like, hey, this is my son. I think he's awesome. Do you really think you're seeing it more clear than he is? Anybody? Hint, if you disagree with God, change your mind. (laughs) Really, if you disagree with God, change your mind. And Jesus shows us that in him, not because of us, because of him, because of how amazing his gospel is, we can look at ourselves through the person of Jesus. We can look in the mirror and say, I don't see that in myself, but you know what? This is what God says is in me. I don't see it yet, but you know what? God says this, not me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be humble And say that God is right. Not myself. Guys, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is everything we need to know. I'm convinced if you get those things down. If you can really see God through the person of Jesus. And not sprinkle in stuff that's not there. And if you can really see yourself in the person of Jesus. And say, I am part of the family of God because he made me to be. That's about all we need to know in this life. We get rock solid on those things. You know what you're going to live out? You're going to live out a picture of God. You're going to live out a picture that this, the, the people outside these walls that feel like God sent me away because I blew it. We get to be a picture that says, that's not true. That's not what God's really like. If you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. And that's the heart of the Father. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing call. 
And I thank you, you've given us everything that we need to do in this. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the only thing that we need to know. And so, God, I'm just, even like right now, God, I just submit, God, everything that I know and everything that's how I see this world to you. I say, Jesus, I want to see the Father through you. Jesus, I want to see myself through you. I want to accept and believe everything that you showed about the person of God, everything that you reveal about who I am in you, God. I want to be faithful to what the son bought because God, that's how you get glory. And I want to bring you glory in this life. And so father, I thank you for that. And Holy spirit, I'm asking for you to bear witness to this truth, to empower the gospel God so that we can live this thing out the way Jesus wants us to in Jesus name. And for Jesus sake, because he died for an incredible bride. Amen.